We're going to kick off, and as we do, uh, throughout this Easter series, we are um, trying to be faithful to the, to the scripture. We're acknowledging that the church is really the only place that people are going to hear the Christmas story and, and the Easter story. I'm... The church is the only place where you're going to hear the Christmas story and you're going to hear the Easter story. You're not going to hear that anywhere else generally. And so we want to be faithful to make sure that when we come to these moments that we make the most of it. And so rather than me just preach from a text over Easter, we're actually going to get people reading them. And so uh, Mike uh, read last week and Johnny, where are you, Johnny? Here he is. Are you there? You were sat there, you've moved. And so Johnny's just going to read for us uh, and then we're going to teach on it. Cool, we're reading from um, John 18, 28 to John 19, 18. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace, because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about it? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and uh, chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest because the Jewish, but to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against them. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here's the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who has handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. 
From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Should we pray? Father, we want to acknowledge today the depth of what we're reading. No trial has ever gone on in human history like this one. God, we want to honour your word this morning. We want to honour your son. And God, I pray that you'd help me to be faithful to these words as I teach through them today. And I pray, God, that you'd do something in our hearts, that you'd do something in our minds and the very depths of our being. God, I want to thank you that every single one of us, no matter where we are on the sort of spectrum of spiritual belief, I thank you that every single one of us uh, it is on a journey of discovering you, whether hearing about Jesus for the first time or, or, or reflecting on this this morning, having heard it a hundred times, having, having followed you for a number of years. God, none of us are truly like you yet. And, and so I believe, we believe, God, that every single one of us has a step to take. We pray, God, today that you would lead us beautifully, personally, profoundly by your Spirit. Open your word to us today that there might be insight, that there might be revelation, that we might grow today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, growing up, I wanted to be a lawyer, um, and uh, I used to, people in my late teens got me into John Grisham books. Anybody John Grisham book readers? There's a few of you around, yeah. And and I wanted to be a lawyer, and and I read those novels, and I loved the theatre, I loved the drama of a good trial. And I know there's a number of lawyers in the room right now. I, I love the drama of a, a trial, the 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 judge and the jury, and 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 the advocate and the plaintiff and the defendant and, and all this stuff goes on and it seemed like just about every John Grisham book is set in like the deep south of America. You know, you've got like some small town place in Mississippi where, where, the, where there's the courtroom in the middle and everyone in the town knows what's going on. And so it doesn't matter what's going on in the courtroom, the town has an opinion. And, and often you'd found people gathered outside the courthouse calling out their verdict. They already knew what they wanted to happen. And so in this sort of hot, sticky uh, courtroom setting, the windows might be open and as the proceedings are going on, as the drama's unfolding in the courtroom, the sound of the crowd is, is drifting in and they're talking about what their verdict should be and there's placards and there's protests going on. And, and as I look at this scene here, this is like not just a landmark case, this is the most significant trial that has ever gone on in human history. God God in flesh, the, the one who claimed to be the Son of God, the one who claimed to be the very revelation of truth itself, stands on trial before the might of the Roman Empire. In this, this local governor, this local representative of the Roman Empire stands in judge over Jesus' case. 
And John's observing this. There's the crowd outside, the Jews, who are handing Jesus over to be tried, and they've already made up their minds. They hand him over, but they want the death sentence. That is the very reason, the only reason, that they have handed him over to Pilate. And so they're shouting out their opinion, their verdict, and the proceedings sort of go on in private between this conversation with Jesus and Pilate, and Pilate then going out and and trying to reason with the Jews, and they sort of go back and forth in this way. And and John, I imagine, is a bit of sort of a court reporter. He's, He's recording faithfully what's going on in these scenes. But remember, if you've been tracking through this I Am series with us, you'll know that John, uh, he knows the other three gospels Matthew Mark and Luke have already been written and so there's many things in there he's like I don't really need to repeat all of that John has this other agenda which is always pointing to the significance of Jesus it's why he reminds us so often about Jesus the great I am the revelation of the eternal God in flesh and and so in these moments even though he's recording Jesus on trial before a gentile court I want you to see that I think even here John is pointing to something that is going on that is far deeper if you were listening to to Johnny carefully if you're familiar with this passage you'd know that actually John refers to Passover in this in this uh, narrative three times nowhere else in the crucifixion story does he refer to Passover but here he does Passover takes us back to Exodus, the second book in the Bible, when when God delivered his people out of slavery so that they could follow him, so that they could be in relationship with him, so that they could worship him. And, and time and time again, God goes to, through the through Moses, God goes to Egypt and says, let my people go. You've got them in slavery, you need to let them go so that they can Worship me. It's a beautiful picture of, of people who are believers, who are followers of Jesus, invited out of slavery to sin, to follow God, to worship Him, to be in relationship with Him. And ten times you see God defeat God after God after God among the Egyptians until the tenth one, where God has had enough and He finally says, right, this is it. Israel is now going free. And the way that happened was that God judged Egypt and, and And the firstborn in every family in Egypt was going to die. God says to the Israelites, if you're going to go free, if if, if that judgment is not going to come upon your house, you're going to need to take a lamb. A spotless, perfect lamb. Examine him. Check him out. Make sure there's nothing wrong. And then you're going to sacrifice him and you're going to take the blood and you're going to paint it on the doorposts. And when the angel of death goes over, the, the angel will see the blood and know that death has already occurred. The firstborn in the Israelite families would be spared because a substitute had already died in their place. You see, death came to every family. Judgment came to every family. But, but the picture for Israel was that the judgment had already come on a substitute, one who died in their place, a lamb, a sacrifice. And what I want you to see is these three things that happened in Passover pointed to the ultimate Passover. And I want you to see these three things. <clears throat> one, that, that, that the Passover lamb was examined and had to be found spotless. That the Passover lamb was given in exchange for people. That the Passover lamb died as a substitute 
for people. And finally, the Passover lamb actually has to die, actually has to be sacrificed. And we see these three things in Passover. We see these three things in the ultimate Passover. As John observes this trial going on and he points to it and he says, I want you to see these three things. The Passover lamb has actually come. He's here in the person of Jesus. Track with me. We're going to follow it through. So the trial begins in uh, right at the start. The Jews bring Jesus to um, to Pilate to, to 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 hand him over, and John interprets this. This whole sort of narrative um, at, at the start gets interpreted by John in verse thirty-two. He says, "This took place. This handing over took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. If the Jews were going to execute somebody, they would do it by stoning." They had ways of doing it. But here, Jesus has already prophesied there's a way he needs to die. There's The Old Testament has prophesied about a way that Jesus needs to die. And, and Jews don't kill people like that. And Jesus has already said, if I am lifted up from the earth, if I am hung on a cross, I will draw all people to myself. And so Jesus gets handed over to the Jews. He's passive in it. The Jews don't really know what they're doing, but they hand him over to the Romans so that he can be crucified on a Roman cross because that's how Romans killed people. They hung people on a cross. They were going to be raised up. And so John interprets that. He says, this is why this is happening. This is why this trial begins to take place. And Pilate actually doesn't want to doesn't want anything to do with it. He actually is like, this is a religious matter. I'm not really bothered about it. It's a Jewish issue. I wish that he just wants this thing off his plate immediately. But Pilate goes back inside and um, meets Jesus and he says this. He says, he summons Jesus and he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? See, when, when the Jews handed him over, they had no basis for a charge. They didn't actually tell Pilate what they were, or John doesn't record what the charge was actually about. But, but John lets us know in Pilate's first words, are you the king of the Jews? I find this is a really interesting statement because it comes out as a question and yet in the Greek it's much more sort of accusatorial. Here you've got Pilate, okay, the local representative of the might and strength of the Roman Empire. And he looks at this man with no army, with no weapons, with no followers fighting for his arrest. And it's like he turns around and he says, you, you are a king? Look at you. You have no weapons, no army. How could you possibly claim to be a king? And, and, and of course, this is a pretty serious charge in the Roman Empire. You know, you've got an emperor. They crushed their enemies. They had, they had um, coliseums around the whole empire to, to show what they did to their enemies. You don't go around Rome just sort of casually claiming to be an emperor, to be a king. So Pilate is pretty interested in this, but he looks at the guy and he's like, you, Jesus, you're a king, really? And Jesus' response is really interesting. He, he says, well, my kingdom's not of this world. <laughs> Immediately not allowing himself to be found guilty by Pilate. Because the truth is, Jesus is a king. He's actually a king of all things. He's a king before all and after all and over all. Caesar does not compare. Caesar's throne could never compare to Jesus's. But Jesus sort of sidesteps the thing and says, well, actually, my my kingdom's from somewhere else. Pilate's like, oh, that's all right then. (laughs) If your kingdom's from somewhere else, that's that's okay. But actually, Jesus is is never going to be a king in this moment to try and remove Caesar. 
He's not interested in overthrowing the empire at this point. Why? Because Jesus has a much bigger agenda. He has a much bigger mission. And it isn't to rule on earth at this moment to to sort of push Caesar out at all. Jesus reveals it in verse 38. He says this, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus reveals his agenda, at which point Pilate says, what is truth? Every single person and and every single worldview, every single generation, every single civilization has to answer that question. What do we believe to be true? And Jesus says, I come to testify to the truth. This word testimony has to, is a legal term. It's, it's really great in this context of a court because what he's saying is, you know, why do you call witnesses into the courtroom? You call witnesses into a courtroom because the court needs to decide on something that it didn't experience. The judge wasn't at the scene of the crime. The judge didn't, didn't observe it, didn't hear it, nor did the jury. So they call witnesses to come to testify to what went on so that a decision can be made. And Jesus says, I come as a witness. I come to testify to something that you've never experienced, to something that you don't truly understand. I come as a witness to truth. If you've been tracking through this John series with us, you'll know that truth is a bit of a theme in John. And truth is synonymous with light. That's why Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And light does two things, okay? If you walk in here in the dark this morning and you turn on the light, what happens? You see the light. But also the light enables you to see everything else. If you walk in here with the lights off, you're going to start tripping over things. You're going to try to sort of fumble around. You know those moments in the dark where you're like, what is this? I'm trying to work out what it is. Light brings clarity to that. Light enables you to interpret what's going on. So when Jesus says, I come as a witness to truth, he enables us to see God. And he enables us to sort of interpret life in light of what we see about God. So when when Jesus says, I come to testify to truth, he's saying, I come to reveal God, enable you to see God in a way that up until now you have not been able to see him. That in the Old Testament, God spoke. And in the Old Testament, God's actions could be seen. In fact, in creation, we get to see God at work. But when Jesus comes, he comes as this revelation of truth, a witness to truth. He reveals God in a way that up until that point, we had not seen him. We got to see God with flesh on. We got to look in his eyes. We got to hear the things God says. We got to look at the things God does. We got to see the attitudes and the way God treats people and the way God sees people. The way Jesus has compassion on people. He's this revelation of truth, this revelation of the character and the activities of God in a way that had previously been unseen. You know, this is such an important thing in our day because, you know, the attitude, unless I see it, I won't believe it. Unless I can test it, unless I can touch it, unless I can verify it for myself, I will not believe And so what it leads us to is this sort of relative area where we say, well, what I believe is true, what I experience can be different to what you believe is true and what you experience. 
You, you'll hear um, sometimes pictures around that like uh, to try and sort of consolidate world religions. I don't know if you've ever heard of the elephant example. Have you ever heard of that? So imagine blindfolded men around, it's men in the example, you know, like women would be much more astute. They'd work that out, but it's men in blindfolds anyway. And, and and so one guy sort of comes forward and he feels the, the tail of the elephant and he says, oh, it's sort of long and, and, and thin and God is like a snake. And, and then another guy goes, oh, well, here's, here's, here's a, some sort of hard leg. It's it's like a trunk. Oh, God is like a trunk. And, and, and he must be like a tree or something. And then somebody else feels a task and he describes that. And that's what, and, 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 and so there's this view that is all world religions are basically like that. That we're all just working out what we've seen. And if we could all see, actually, we, we'd all see that we're all believing the same thing, which is a nonsense. But that's what, that's the view. And, and it's a, it's a view against the fact that People say that Christians and, and other religions are just, you know, we're so exclusive and we're so arrogant to believe that we have a revelation of God. The problem with that is that in this example, the elephant speaks. The elephant turns around and goes, I'm not a tail like a snake and I'm not a trunk like a tree. I am an elephant. And so it's not that we're arrogant as Christians in believing that we're exclusive, we've got it right, and everyone else is wrong. Jesus says he's right. Jesus comes as this revelation of God. And when John observes this, he sees Old Testament prophecies, things written hundreds of years ago by so many different people being fulfilled in this guy's life before his very eyes. When when John does when Jesus does miracles, John goes, This is a revelation of glory. This is a revelation of God before my very eyes and, and that's climaxes in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus just as it had been prophesied just as Jesus said he would I'm going to die and three days later I will rise to life again never to die again the elephant speaks he's the revelation of truth and as John looks at this he goes I believe it but there's another side of this idea of testifying to truth. Like I said, not only do we get to see the light, not only do we get to see God, but actually we get to interpret life in light of that. And that becomes a really important thing for us. You know, when we get to see God, we get to see what he does. We get to see how he treats people. We hear his voice and we get to hear how he speaks. And the point is that as we watch God at work, as we see this revelation of God, we're supposed to imitate it. If God loves you and God made you and God is all-powerful and eternal and unchanging, if God knows the end from the beginning and he calls out knowledge and that will never, ever, ever be called into question, then surely he becomes the very best voice to speak into your life. He becomes the very best one to, to lead, like a lamp provides, provides light for our path. He becomes the very best one to follow, the very best one to respond to. And so as Jesus says, I come to testify to truth, I want to ask us a question. Do we not only believe, but are we willing to follow? Does Jesus have the right to speak truth into your life? Does he get to challenge you on the way you work? Does he get to challenge you on the way you treat others, on the way you speak to others, on the way you speak about others? Does he get to challenge how you socialize? Does he get to challenge what you watch? Does he get to challenge what you post on social media? 
He is this testimony of truth. Not only do we see God, but we have the opportunity to be led by God who made us and loves us and is always working out good in our lives. Does he have that opportunity in your life? Something's going on today. There you go. Keep flipping to a spreadsheet. It's not good. Three times we see Jesus, uh, Pilate, come out with this phrase he's now about to come out with. Pilate says, his kingdom is from somewhere else. He's just testifying about truth. I mean, what even is truth? Notice what he says, verse 38. I find no basis for a charge against him. Exonerated of all charges. We see it again. Pilate then has Jesus flogged and mocked and and false worship. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They put a purple robe on him and they mock him. The word that Mark uses around this detachment of soldiers shows us it could be up to 600 soldiers right now mockingly worshipping Jesus. I think what's going on here is Pilate is trying to shame Jesus, beat him up and show before the Jews, surely you want him dead but I've punished him. I mean, what good could this guy do now? What trouble could he ever cause you in this state? Come on. He might claim to be a king but come on. Because Pilate wants this out of the way. Pilate doesn't want to deal with this. But at the end of that, Pilate says, again, verse 4 of chapter 19, I find no basis for a charge against him. Then when you get to verse 6, he says again, I find no basis for a charge against him. What is going on here? I want to say, I want to suggest that what John is showing us is that the Passover lamb is being examined. And, And when that final time when Pilate says, look, I find no basis for a charge against him. What is... What, is, what do the Jews say? They reveal their hand. This guy claims to be the son of God. That was heresy for them. You couldn't do that. That was punishable by death to them. At which point Pilate's pretty afraid. Because this guy in front of me is now claiming to be the son of God. I want you to notice two things in this. One, the voluntary nature of Jesus. Because at this moment he says, I find no basis for a charge against him. And, and, and when Pilate comes in, note verse 9, he says, And when Pilate went back inside, where did you come from? He said, to ask Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power if it were not given to you from above. <laughs> The only reason I stand here on trial before you is because my father gave you the authority to stand in judgment over me right now. Like what a defense. What a comeback. Don't you, don't you realize I have the power? Don't you realize I gave you that power? It's on loan, pilot. Jesus could have delivered himself at any moment, walked out, exonerated himself, but he doesn't. He voluntarily stays and walks the path. Why? Because he knows he's the Passover lamb. He knows his mission wasn't to get free. This moment isn't to exonerate himself and vindicate himself. Because what he could have done is gone, you're all sinners and I'm here because of you. But he knew he had a path to walk. And he stays there. The voluntary nature. Notice what it says in Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter and as a sheep before its shearer is silent so he did not open his mouth. Jesus is fulfilling this in these very moments. 
And he says, and Pilate is examining the lamb. Three times he says, I find no basis for a charge against him. The lamb has been found spotless. But go back to verse 39. Pilate's agenda throughout this whole thing is to release Jesus. And this is seen most uh, visibly, I think, in, in verse 38 with this sort of altercation with Barabbas. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They say, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas is a murderer and a rebel. John records that he was responsible for an uprising. And so I think Pilate goes, I'm going to put this really, really bad guy here and I'm going to put this pitiful guy that I'm about to beat and flog who claims to be king but really doesn't look like a king and and who do you want released to you? Don't you think it's really interesting that the Jews had this custom at Passover to have somebody, a a, a criminal basically, somebody in a Roman prison released to them? And it's like Pilate goes, who would you rather have roaming your streets? (laughs) Who do you want in your community? And they go, Barabbas. We don't want him. Do you see the agenda? Let me tell you what's going on here. I think Pilate is just a bit of a puppet here, really. Who do you want released to you? Do you notice the guilty goes free without question or consequence? The murderer and the rebel goes free. And the innocent one is handed over to be condemned and crucified. Do you see the exchange? This is the lamb. This is Jesus who's going to be exchanged for the guilty. This is the substitute, the one who was going to die in the place of humanity. Pilate, throughout this scene, is trying to get rid of it. Now we're going to jump, get rid of Jesus. Now, uh, as he let him free. Verse 12, we're going to jump back there. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar's. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat in the judge's seat. This is a significant moment. Pilate wants to set Jesus free, knows he's innocent, does not want to be party to killing um, an innocent person, let alone one who claims to be the son of God. And clearly Pilate knows something here. Can you feel the tension? Pilate sort of knows something's going on here. And and, and yet, here's the straw that breaks the camel's back. The Jews say, remember Caesar. Anybody who opposes, claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And at this moment, Pilate lets the fear of people take over. And he says, I might want to set this person free, but I'm more scared of Caesar. I'm more scared of what the crowd will do in an uprising. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand him over. And so Pilate, when that happens, sits down in the judge's seat. The judge's seat was this like plinth in the community, this, this place that was visible where, where rulers would sit and bring verdicts and make decisions and arbitrate between disputes. And Pilate sits down, sentence is about to happen. Pilate has made his decision. Jesus is going to be handed over to be crucified. What happens here? What's happening here? The lamb has been found spotless. The lamb has been exchanged as a substitute for the guilty. The lamb needs to be sacrificed. You see, for all the beating, for all the being proved innocent, for all the stuff that goes on, the lamb had to be crucified, killed. The lamb had to be sacrificed. The blood had to be painted to prove that death had occurred. And Jesus had to die. And in this moment, Pilate seals Jesus' fate. Can you see 
what John is doing beneath the surface, he's showing us something. That something profound and significant is going on here. The lamb has been found spotless. The lamb has been given as a substitute. The lamb must be sacrificed. In closing, I want to take you right back to the start of John, okay? At the start of John, John is talking about how people responded to Jesus. He writes this, verse 10 of chapter 1. He was, made in the world, he, was, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, he's talking about Jesus, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He paints this picture that through Jesus, the world was created. Everything we've ever known and seen and smelled and felt and touched was created by him. He created humanity. He loves humanity. He, he made people for relationship with himself. But sin meant we went our own way. We weren't interested in the creator. We rebelled against that. And so when Jesus comes into the world, to the very ones he created, the world goes, who are you? Do you notice Pilate is one of these non-Jews? Pilate is one of these Gentiles who does not recognize Jesus. He sees, he observes Jesus. He hears all these testimonies about him, yet yet he doesn't recognize. Maybe he's about to, but he lets the fear of people get in the way and he does not recognize Jesus. Then, verse verse 11, it says he came to that which was his own, that is to the Jews, but his own did not receive him. The Jews in this scene that we've read knew all the answers. They knew all the Old Testament prophecies. They could probably recite them by heart. They could tell you all about them. They knew, had all of the knowledge Yet when Jesus is there face to face with them, do you know it doesn't say they didn't recognize him. It said they didn't receive him. They didn't want him. You can have all the right answers and and, and not receive him. This is a question I always want to ask people who refuse to believe in Jesus, refuse to really acknowledge the evidence. I sort of want to ask, do you even want to receive him? Like what amount of evidence would really be enough ever? But notice this. To those who did receive him, to those who believed him in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When I saw this, it's like just crazy. People often ask in this scene, this trial of Jesus, who am I? Who am I in the story? Would I have been one of those Jews and crucify him? To some extent, because of our sin, that is what we did. But we're not the Jews in this story. Are we Pilate? Are we the ones who sit in judgment, having to make a decision about Jesus? Sort of in some ways, but we're not Pilate. Can I say we're Barabbas? Do you know what Barabbas means? Son of the Father. Like, blow your mind crazy. Barabbas means son of the Father. Barabbas, guilty of murder... Guilty of an uprising, walks free without question or consequence. In exchange for the son of the father in heaven who is handed over to be crucified. 
And, and so Barabbas, as he walks free, still carries that name, son of the father. You know who we are? We're Barabbas. We're the ones who are made by God, loved by God, given purpose, given relationship with God. But we didn't want to know about that. So we walked away and did our own thing. And in doing so, brought death into the world and deserved it. And God sent the Son of the Father to die in our place as an atoning sacrifice, innocent yet crucified, so that we might go free by believing in Him without question, without consequence, and forever and ever carry the name Barabbas, carry the name Son of the Father, become children of God. We're Barabbas. Blow your mind brilliant. Like, only God writes a story like that. And so as we respond this morning, we're going to do three or four things, and I'm going to try and wrap this up quickly. The first thing is we're going to sing. Because you know, when you recognize Jesus, you respond in worship. And we're going to sing a song that I've requested, and you might not know it, but it's okay. We're going to do it over the top of communion. And so if you don't know the words, you might just want to let them wash over you. Crown him. With many crowns. The passage we've read has mock worship. People who didn't recognize. People who didn't receive him. Although later on you see centurions responding. So go figure. But they mocked him. They gave the right words. But their heart was far from him. Because they didn't recognize him. For those of us who recognize him today. Can we worship him properly? We're going to sing crown him with many crowns. The Lamb. Upon his throne, hark how the heavenly anthem, hark how, listen in on the sound of heaven today that drowns out all music but its own. The whole of heaven joins in worship of this Passover lamb. If you recognize him today, can we worship him? As we do so, we're going to share communion. I'm going to invite you to find bread and juice around the room. It reminds us of this lamb. It reminds us of his body that he took on flesh that was sacrificed. The juice reminds us of blood that was poured out. Blood is about life in the Bible. So where it's poured out, it represents that death has occurred. This bread and juice reminds us of the body and the death of Jesus Christ. But also the hope that he didn't stay dead. And he's there to be known, to be experienced, to be in relationship with today. We're going to share communion. And as we do, I want you to ponder some stuff. You know, maybe you're skeptical and you've never believed in Jesus. Maybe you've believed another religion. Maybe you've believed something else. But here you're hearing stuff. You're not ready to believe yet. But you're like, man, there's more here than I thought. I want to invite you. The step I want you to take today is to begin to look into this seriously. To begin to investigate. I'd love to invite you to a CE course. We don't want to have one planned, but I'll run one. If you want to, if you want to come and learn about Jesus in a course we call Christianity Explored, we'll run one. If you're serious about investigating, come here. Come discuss. Come, come work it out. Come take this seriously. Maybe today the response you want to make is to believe. You're going, actually I do recognize. Actually I do want to receive him. Actually I do want to say, Jesus, I cannot believe that you did this for me. I want to know you as the light of the world, but I want to know you as the light of my life to lead me from this day on. I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. But maybe for you, the response today is, in what you see, there's going to be a deeper sense of worship, but maybe in what you're seeing today, it's like you've realized, he's the testimony of truth, but I haven't yet let him lead. 
I haven't yet let him speak truth into my life and actually shape my decisions, actually shape my direction. I haven't yet taken him as an example and and applied that to how I need to live and invited him to give me the power to do that. So, Should we stand? And that'll make it easier for you to find communion around the room and ponder these things. Do you need to investigate today? Do you need to believe today? Do you need to let him lead you today? Jesus, we want to acknowledge just the profundity of this moment as we see Jesus, the Passover lamb, innocent, yet facing a sentence that he didn't deserve, but we did. And we want to worship you today. We want to celebrate you today to the extent that we understand how. We want to say thank you today for all that you have done. God, for anybody in this place right now who says, I believe. God, I pray that you'd lead them from this moment on. I thank you for the work that you're doing in their life. That it's not just a moment of beginning to believe, but a life of discovering more and more and more about you, of knowing the joy of being forgiven, of knowing the joy of being being found as a child of God. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this place right now believing, saying, God, I love you. God, I want to, and I know you love me. I want to thank you that though I'm sinful, you died in my place. I give my life to you. I make you not only my saviour, but my Lord. Thank you for everyone in this room right now for whom that is their prayer. God, we celebrate today. God, lead us and lead them. Lead us as a community from this moment on. For those who need to make you the leader again today, thank you that it's a work of your grace. It's a free gift. It's never by works. We thank you in Jesus' name. We worship you and we praise you. Amen. Hey, church, let's find communion around the room. and I'd encourage you, let what we've begun to talk about, whatever your step today, whatever your response today, let's talk about it. If you're believing in Jesus, I want to hear about that. We want to hear about that. If you're wanting to investigate, tell someone you came with, say, that's me, I need to look into this. Let's help, let's be a community that does this journey together. Come on, let's share communion.